and welcome to As It Comes, life from a musician's point of view. I'm Davina, I'm a freelance cellist based in London, and if you want to do something that is depressing, enlightening, and relieving all at once, look at your last year's diary. The flat that we moved into shortly before lockdown is still in a state of calamity, although less now than in March, now that we've had a bit of time to get things sorted. But now and again I find myself having to search through boxes for something that I need that I don't have a place for yet. While I was doing this, I came across my 2019 diary and decided to have a look at what I was doing last year in June, which is traditionally a busy time of year. Here's a little snippet of a week. Monday. Teaching at a school from 12.40 till 4. Tuesday. Training day at BBC Broadcasting House from 10 till 5. Met up with friends later for dinner, drinks and ice cream. Wednesday. Teaching day. Taught in the morning at one school until 2.30, then drove to another school in the afternoon to teach at 4.30 till 7. Thursday. A morning off. What? But not for long. Orchestra rehearsal 2 till 6 with a show in the evening. Friday. More teaching for two hours in Richmond irrelevant for most of you but all you need to know is that is very far from where I live hoofed it back to town orchestra rehearsal three till six with another show in the evening drinks afterwards obviously Saturday drove out to East London to interview Maddie Ridd who features in episode two and three of this podcast got lost outside her flat got a parking ticket for chatting too long drove back home for a bit and then a quartet gig from 6 30 till 9 30 in Hyde Park Sunday, drove down to Sussex for a 2pm rehearsal and a 5.30pm opera gala show. Home late. But it looks like I had the following day off, the Monday off, which was a bonus. And apart from going to sleep in the same bed every night, Mark and I had zero evenings together that week. How sad. I probably saw more of my colleagues and students than him, and I wasn't even out of town. Fast forward to the same week in 2020, and you can probably guess how this is going to go. Monday. Nothing. Although, according to photos on my phone, we ate homemade pizza for dinner. Tuesday, my big work day. Teaching from 11 till 2.40 for school, and then two private students from 3 until 5. Wednesday, a 15-minute phone call with a comms manager. I then went to the supermarket that day. It took forever. Made an apple crumble for dessert. Thursday, a visit from my friend to my Animal Crossing island, D-Rexlandia. Don't ask. If you know, you know. Friday. According to photos on my phone, I made a salad of kale, courgettes, slash zucchini, and courgette flowers for lunch. And a mixed berry crumble for dessert. But, one thing in my diary, Zoom chat with Jennifer Pike at noon. Saturday and Sunday have zero entries in the diary, but I recall going to Crystal Palace Park to have a socially distant picnic with friends, tending to my vegetables in the garden, and drinking some fine beers as well as probably eating some crumble. It's an interesting exercise, and not all bad news, as I suspected it would be. There are definitely positives to lockdown. For example, I'm eating more crumbles, clearly. I see my husband every day, and I've carved out more time to stay in touch with friends. I work one day out of seven, as opposed to seven of seven. I don't have to travel out to Richmond, and there's virtually no chance of me getting a parking ticket anymore because I don't go anywhere. Also, I grow vegetables and flowers, and in doing so, I'm introducing more bees, ladybugs, and butterflies into the garden, so I am doing a service to the planet. You're welcome. 
I hope you're all continuing to do okay and can seem like a hollow gesture, my disembodied voice saying this, but it is good to focus on the positives once in a while. I mean, you can always ignore me if that message has come to you at a difficult time. I totally understand. Anyway, I mentioned before I had one appointment on a Friday afternoon. My guest this episode is the wonderful violinist Jennifer Pike. In normal times, she performs all over the world as a soloist and works as a recording artist. In corona times, she hangs out in her flat, so she had to chat with me on Zoom. How times change. We talk about what she's been up to during the lockdown, as well as her new recording of The Lark Ascending, coming out end of July. I've not thought so much about that piece before, so it was very interesting to hear her insight on the piece. We start off chatting about how we first met each other at a mutual friend's party in early March. Remember March? Remember parties? Here's my chat with Jen. Yeah, I was hoping that you remembered me. <laughs> I do remember you. I do. It, oh, I'm sad. Actually, that was the last, possibly one of the last parties before lockdown for me anyway, that one. So I do remember you very well. <laughs> oh, thank you. So I'll start off first of all, just with a bit of a welcome spiel, but welcome to the podcast. Jennifer Pike and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. And we were talking just before about how we met for the first time not that long ago, although it feels like about five billion years ago, even though it was only in early March at a mutual friend's birthday party. Shout out to Sarah. One thing I do remember actually when we met was because it was, you know, the beginning of all the coronavirus thing and everyone was so concerned about shaking hands and stuff. I remember you pressed your palms together and you bowed and you said, <laughs> Namaste. I do remember that. Yes. I know. I'd just seen it. I'd just seen it on Twitter. Somebody saying maybe that's a good way of going about it. And I thought, actually, that is a really good way. But your expression was of what on earth is this woman, crazy woman doing? <laughs> I'm yeah. so sorry. I just thought, wow, you're very spiritual. And I like that because I like <laughs> yoga. And, you know, the light in me honors the light in you and all that. But it was just the circumstances. I, I just wasn't expecting it. But then later you were like, of course, we can't shake hands. And then it was the, the foot thing, wasn't it? I think we finished on the, um, what, what do they call it? Where you, where you just tap somebody else's shoe? I think yeah, we did you just kind of kick, kick each other, right? <laughs> the Wuhan kick. Or was it the elbow thing? You know, I don't know anymore. Not seeing any person anymore. It, so it doesn't really matter. But since that birthday party, gosh, like how times have changed. So along with everyone else in the world, we are coping with the sudden change of pace. And my question to you is, how have you been coping with the sudden change of pace imposed by lockdown, having been maintaining a busy schedule of performing and recording for basically your entire adult life? It's been quite a change, I've got to admit. Yeah, suddenly concerts cancelled, like so many musicians, just nothing. And that was quite a shock to come to terms with you think my goodness not being a job after so long yeah 20 years nearly 20 years now I tried to I took it easy actually I, I didn't really continue I, I put the violin down for a, a, I think about a week or two and just listening to what was happening and also you feel like you well from a personal point of view the violin is such a strong part of who I am, that I found with all the confusing things going on, 
I thought I found it hard to pick up the violin and make a sound because I, I was afraid of what sounds would come out. Sounds a bit ridiculous, but I think everybody was suffering so much with all the fast changing news and uh, you know fast pace that had suddenly slowed that um, it took me a while to catch up and feel able to to just start practicing. So that's what happened in the first few weeks and and then I I I was quite relieved to have some time to cook and do oh, well. things you never get the chance to do. Yeah, because I imagine I mean just looking at all your concert engagements it's not only a busy schedule here in the UK but all around the world as well. So what does it feel like to all of a sudden just be confined to one specific location? Yeah, that's been hard. The last three months, I, I think it's I've just stuck to a one mile radius. And I've also been isolating in my cellar for that time as well. And just said, you know, hi to the neighbour of Bar. So it's been really bizarre because my friends and family don't live anywhere near me. So it's been a challenge. I like having my own time. I like solitude. And I think every musician that travels or you know especially as a soloist you're often by yourself a lot and yeah this was extreme I like it but this was a bit different but I think I'm seeing a a change which I think is positive and just you know getting stronger from these experiences and you know I'm sure lots of people are trying to find the positive and do something you know to change themselves in this time yeah, it's definitely a time where people are reassessing what their priorities are and how going ahead, not just with music, but there seems to be the seismic social shift in so many things. Currently, you know, a lot of people are thinking about this Black Lives Matter movement um, and everything and reassessing how can we create a better world going back in post COVID-19 times. But for you, how have you been reassessing your life and in your music making and in your life during this time of solitude? Well, I mean, I, yeah, I've been trying to keep up with what's going on and changes in the, you know, such seismic shifts in attitude and, and what's happening. And, and I, I've enjoyed that. I felt, I felt that I've, I think I've become more passionate and enthusiastic about, you know, just even politically, because uh, I think we're so, we have to, we, we had to tune in everybody to tune into what was going on it sort of changed even you know it's reached everyone you know even the the political landscape has actually forced people to to engage even if they don't want to um and so i think i've <laughs> i think lots of people have you know very strong um opinions about uh, about these happenings and it's not exactly been easy for us in Britain uh, with lots of conflicting messages so I've enjoyed trying to navigate those difficulties and and then find something to express in my music and I've realized how important music has been to escape actually from getting too overwhelmed by all of these things happening and I just feel like my my perceptive my perceptions I can't speak after three months in isolation oh don't worry join the club (laughs) (laughs) my perception of music has changed as well and you know realizing how important that is and how grateful I am yeah in what way specifically I think it's probably the well in many ways but I'd start with just the simple 
you know, ex technical exercises, it allows you to switch off a lot because it takes, a, you know, the, you have to be very focused in your practice. You have to you know, do all the, concentrate on, you know, these very, very specific things. And that takes your mind off anything. You just have to be focusing. And the same goes for memorizing a piece. You need really all your focus for that. And the ritual element of doing something um, day after day with, in, a, in a routine, I think, because this lack of routine has been very hard, I think, for many people. Yeah, and me included. I, I found that quite suddenly, you know, grateful for a few teachers in the past saying, you know, teaching me discipline and looking back and thinking, actually, yeah, they, they did have, there was something. In that. <laughs> yeah, and no one could predict this, but it's come in handy. One other thing, sorry, I'm going to waffle on for ages, would also just be what it means to, to make a sound and, and how emotionally satisfying that is, you know, just to get lost in, in Bach or a piece that you never played before. That's really, it's been a lifeline. I think it's, it shows that music is important for, from a you know, mental health perspective in difficult times for many people. And, and also, you know, I found it very, very um, useful. How do you structure your days in this weird time? Well, I've learnt, <laughs> I've got better. I've always had to be quite disciplined with a routine, you know, with learning repertoire and, and travel and trying to squeeze in practice whenever possible. But I have learnt that, you know, not having anything, not having a concert to, to, to work towards has been quite difficult because I think a lot of musicians run on adrenaline and, um, and on having to, to do something for a deadline and having that taken away has been a real challenge. So what I've tried to do is I've tried to set little goals and work towards those and also sending videos to people you know, as friends, uh, you know, so I've been doing that on a regular basis as well, um, just, to, just to keep them happy. And I think I've, I've enjoyed doing And also regular walks and mm. cooking. I, I, again, I keep mentioning that, but that's been a big part of, of routine as well. And washing up, oh my God, and tidying. <laughs> I am very bored of that now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny, isn't it? Yeah, it's like, I feel like finally, because I moved into a flat shortly before lockdown happened, and only now have I had the chance to actually get the opportunity to declutter and be, you know, living in a place where I feel actually at home. And a lot of the time you don't get that chance as a musician if you're living out of a suitcase half the time. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. I have complete sympathy. <laughs> yeah. But I suppose structure is a good thing to have, especially in this time, because perhaps it gives you a sense of purpose as to why you know, you choose to express yourself musically, you know, and I think that's, that's one thing that people can forget. They have this ability to play an instrument and then they think, well, why do I do this? If there's, if there's no way to perhaps get any monetary reward from it, then why do I do it? Yeah. But then you have to think, oh, why is it that attracted uh, me to it in the first place? I think it, it's been, yeah, good for a lot of people to reassess that kind of thing. Absolutely. You suddenly realise what's important and what, what music can people, who, who are the people as well that, that really mean everything. So, yeah. 
Yeah. So you've been doing some videos and you mentioned shortly before we started recording about a Facebook live fail. (laughs) What happened there? (laughs) Well, it was one of those moments where, you know, you think, well, what can you do to salvage a situation? It wasn't anything major, but it was just, you know, it should be easy to add a guest on. So yeah, I, 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 for my first ever attempt at Facebook live, I just pressed the, um, press the live button and you know of course you're trying to figure out how to add your guest it was this wonderful composer Danny Howard and uh, she was ready in Spain um, and she was trying to get onto it but I don't think for some reason she couldn't her internet or my internet there was something that went wrong and but it was fine I just talked to I talked to people about her piece and then we've recorded it on zoom and and we'll release that yeah so I'll be just yeah, a chat with her. But yes, the joys of technology, it's been really tough. Yeah, technical difficulties. I mean, that's something that everyone has been experiencing. Isn't it? And also, I mean, because I do a bit of teaching online and then just the number of times where you're trying to get your student to demonstrate something and the audio and the visual don't sync up. Oh, no. <laughs> Super frustrating. Like, how can I see what you're doing when I can't really hear or see you? <laughs> It was really, really tricky. But um, yeah, how did you find doing Facebook Live, you know, in absence of a live audience? What was your take on all that? Well, I think there is something quite heartening about um, about all of these mess ups uh, online as well. I think watching people do something quite personal, you know, having making music in their own homes and there's something changing in classical music, making it more personal. It feels more... Um, it's just quite touching I think the casual element everyone's you know well I mean obviously it's great if somebody makes the effort to to dress up I miss that I really do miss the concert dresses but there's nothing stopping you you can put (laughs) why not yeah maybe while I'm hoovering tomorrow I just (laughs) put my concert dress (laughs) but yeah I I think that's quite I found it quite nerve-wracking just to you know from a social media point of view because you can't see your audience I like being in a hall and, and really feeling the presence of an audience. So I think that's quite a challenge, but there are positives as well to it. But uh, I'll let you know how the next one goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully without the technical difficulties. Yeah. So what were you meant to be doing at this time of year in your performing schedule? Oh, I've, I'm sad. I'm, I'm not, I, don't, I don't want to bring the tone of the conversation down. But I, I Yeah, lots of tours, lots of... Um, I was meant to go on a, on a tour with a St. Petersburg Symphony Orchestra and do Tchaikovsky Concerto and Korngold as well, which is uh, the most wonderful piece. And and also play with Rin Terpel and um, Hannah Stone and in the Albert Hall. And, and I think that would have been wonderful. But, you know, hopefully in the future. I, I really hope these things will happen, you know, again, yeah. reschedule rather than cancel. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. It's like it's, it sucks now, yeah. <laughs> as, as we all know, and it can be really heartbreaking. But I think that goes with anything really that doesn't pan out. It's really easy to think, oh gosh, what could have been? But then there's hopefully an opportunity to exactly. do yeah. something like that in the future. Yeah, and have it change hopefully for the better. You know, if if we still have, if we have the support, if the government really listens up to you know, what's happening in classical music and we, and it's still, you know, able to flourish, then I think that musicians 
and artists will really, you know, we, we, we do really fight for what we want. And I think we'll be very creative and imaginative with how things can change in, in, the, in classical music for the better and reaching communities and, and making it more relevant for, for, you know, what we need right now, what communities mm. need right now. Yeah. Well, I think that's the thing is, is really highlighting that importance of, of music and the arts and what we do right now. And there's nothing like a three month quarantine to make you realize how important the arts are because they are pertinent throughout, you know, even if we don't have the concert halls and everything, they are what we are experiencing right now. And it's, it is just super sad to think that it can all get kind of swept under the carpet. Yes, at a time where it's it's shown how important it is for everyone, you know, creativity and, and music, people are really, really need it now. It kind of reminds me, my sister is uh, working frontline as an NHS doctor, and, and she said to me at the beginning of this lockdown, she said, please play, keep playing, just keep, you know, I, I need to see on my feed something other than, you know, what's happening. So you know, really hit me that often practice and, and want to, you know, want to be ambitious and want to get better at an instrument. And it's so easy to forget what it means for, for people, you know, getting this piece learned or, or better at this or, you know. And while, while it is so much about the expression of our own personal musical journey and, and development, you do, yeah, as you say, you have to think how it does benefit the audience and yes. the people on the other side as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but speaking of concerts, I read this morning that you do actually have a live concert coming up next month, right? Yes. With London Mozart players. Yeah, I'm very <laughs> excited um, because that will be on the 22nd of July, I think. Just double check that. Um, but the first rehearsal will be on Sunday and um, that'll just be with a few members of the orchestra just to get a sense of how it's going to go. So your first rehearsal is pretty much a whole month before the actual concert. Yes, it was quite last minute because I was going to play with them in September and they because it was a, going to be a live concert with the audience they had to rethink how they were going to do do this and so they brought it in uh, much earlier and then they just happened rehearsing for um, this first concert they're doing with a you know whole other repertoire and other artists but they're in the area because they're in southeast London so it, it's down the road for me I can simply go and meet them you know five minutes away which is great yeah oh that's amazing you don't have to get on public transport because as, as the government says don't get on public transport unless you have to <laughs> <laughs> so if you can walk that's that's a bonus but that's a bonus in normal times as well I suppose isn't it definitely yeah it's special just to pop down the road yeah. yeah just a little side note I think you're just up the road from me right you are um, I mean you must be about 10 minutes away then amazing I actually could have probably done this <laughs> <laughs> yeah that would have been quite nice just from two meters away just like, yeah. like hello <laughs> no, well we have to do playing maybe chamber music or something outside who knows oh <laughs> yeah amazing yeah chamber music across the fence oh what? yeah we'll do that We'll find a nice local <laughs> park and we'll have a jam session. That sounds perfect. I'll get Brad. Can't good. wait, can't wait. <laughs> wait. So you have a new recording coming out with violin sonatas by Algar and Vaughan Williams, including the original version of The Lark Ascending. And The Lark Ascending, I think we can all agree, is a staple of violin repertoire. 
and there are no shortages of recordings and performances out there of this piece. So tell me about your personal stamp on this piece and this recording. Well, what's very special for me about this particular um, recording is that it's in the original version. So I really love playing this with Martin Roscoe and it's violin and piano. So it's a completely different feel to the orchestral people that you know and love. And having played it, performed the, the orchestral version in its two different versions for, for a full orchestra and a smaller chamber orchestra, and also in an arrangement for, for choir and violin, a Swedish choir and violin, yes, by Paul Drayton. That was actually my last CD release, which works beautifully. So I really enjoy um, playing the Lark Sending in its original version in many concerts. And, and so the feedback from the audience has been, I'd never heard it that way before. It's totally different. And I actually like this very intimate journey. So it's, it's so quite, um, I'm trying hard not to give it away too much. I hope, but, you know, I hope people will seek it out um, and be surprised. But it's because the piano can't sustain like an orchestra can just by nature um, the the sound ebbs as soon as you hit the key it sort of changes the whole feel piece because it's much more vertical it's sort of like bells being struck these beautiful sounds beautiful chords from Vaughan Williams and so it rather than the orchestral version which is very linear and sustained and we have this very comfortable sort of bed of sound which is in which the violin floats over and I love that so but I think it's very poignant in all its versions and um, and this one is very touching and also because of the context first world war he wrote it in 1914 for violin and piano and then six years later orchestrated it um, so we have this pre and post-war testament to this time yeah, it's kind of echoes of what's going on an entire century later, right now, and how much can change in six years? How much can change in three months, even? I know, I know. <laughs> absolutely. I've enjoyed it very much, and um, yeah, I, I hope people won't won't think, oh, I've got that version, and uh, I've got Lark Sending, because it's very, it is very, very different hearing it like this. It's got a different message, I suppose, and just having the two instruments has, as you say, a more intimate feel. My experience of that piece is holding that long E forever. Uh, <laughs> <again. yes. laughs> I have heard that that's quite a challenge. I mean, it's uh, it's very difficult. But, but, I mean, the violin, oh, my goodness, all the cadenza is difficult, but I, I, I think I would rather do that than have to hold that. <laughs> wow, yes. If you get a great soloist, you know, it, it can be really wonderful to listen to, but... There are times, like with any job, I suppose, where your mind will wander and yeah. you will just be thinking, what am I going to eat for dinner? <laughs> I know. And also, to, I think, just from a posture point of view, you know, that is a real challenge to do that. And, and you know, with everyone doing that as well and the whole everyone being so still but I, I think it when it works and every everyone's focusing it just is the most magical experience and it's just magic isn't it that yeah. that sort of hushed the it's a sort of 
breathless sound that, that comes out of really touching the strings with no mm. pressure at all. And so difficult to do. I think I remember hearing something like that for the first time um, when I was a lot younger and because you know so much of learning how to play an instrument is making a substantial focused sound and then not really speaking so much about how to make a good piano or pianissimo sound and then when you hear that sound on mass from like a huge ensemble it's really quite breathtaking it's unlike anything else yeah i completely agree it's it's magical when that happens and and you can just feel the audience sort of just be com completely enthralled by that sound and uh yeah i feel privileged when uh, the first few bars of that when that that is all you hear uh, it's a privilege to be near the, near so close to the orchestra and and hear that and able to sort of improvise over it it's just it's a most incredibly it's just a unique piece no other piece like that. yeah how many times have you performed that piece do you know oh that's a good <laughs> question i honestly I, I completely lost count I, it must be the piece i've performed most with orchestra i think in a way the hard thing about doing that is because it's such a powerful piece with such a powerful message it's hard to do it again and again so i haven't played it i haven't toured it a lot purposefully because i i don't want to have to churn something i feel like i'm not present you know churning something out that's the same as before i i think it's important to to really be completely present when you're performing that um that piece so but also what i love about it is that it, it gives you a freedom the score gives you that ability to to improvise even though every note is written meticulously it has the it's got no bar lines and mm -hmm. it's written senza misura so no time and 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 so you feel like you really can't play it the same way as the night before even if you tried yeah 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 it's like just a painter with brush strokes you just have this tool to express yourself upon this canvas of the long notes yes and you just <laughs> and you just do what you like each night yes yeah there's not many pieces in that are so popular actually give you mm. that freedom um, so and, and a really original in that's 914 we're kind of used to that now you know contemporary composers doing that doing that but that's incredibly original and it's easy to forget that because it's so popular you think oh you know it must somehow be compromising something musically if it's that popular it's easy to think that you know and actually that's absolutely wrong and um so it's, it's something i learned when i was asked to do it for the first time i simply didn't want to do it i you know it was, i was like i'm not going to do anything popular i you know in my sort of naive way and then uh, you know i fell in love with the piece quickly after starting to learn it yeah one of those pieces that probably the, the closer that you look, the more you get out of it, right? Definitely, yeah. Uh, I think it's easy with lots of recordings. The, the problem is also for interpretations to be sort of accepted and then sort of unconsciously copied so that a piece can start to sound like there's an accepted way of doing a piece. That happens a lot with, you know, Brahms, Beethoven, Tchaikovsky concertos that the sort of violin tradition of playing pieces because we can record them 
they can often then start to sound similar. So that's a challenge. And that's why I think live performing live is important and um, you know, just as important as recordings. Yeah, it's because there's that ephemerality of it. It's, it's temporary and very much focused on in the moment. I mean, I remember my days at Sydney Con and there was a teacher there who used to give out his teacher's fingerings, his teacher's bowings for all the same concertos and just basically ask the students to replicate that. And while there is some use in that, you have to also have the tools for self-expression as well. Otherwise, you'll just end up echoing Completely. generations of instrumentalists past yes absolutely and uh i think that's what i like about the vaughan williams luck sending because there i think there's a lot more that can be said of it i mean you know that just thinking specifically the opening couple of bars is meant to be played over the fingerboard sur la touche so it, it and very very quietly and so you never really hear that because it's quite, it takes quite a lot of courage to, to do something like that because it's your first impression, the audience's first impression, the first couple of notes. And so to, to give that really fluty sound that happens when you put the bow across the fingerboard uh, for non-violinists listening, it's a really magical sound, but it's, it's not really what you're taught. You know, you're, yeah. you're always taught to play in the part of the violin. But when it happens, it's magical. So I think we can be braver, I, I think, as musicians sometimes with, you know, not sticking to <laughs> the rule what we've been taught. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm just, I just had this hilarious like image in my head of next time you performing that live and you with your bow, like at the same <laughs> contact point as your fingers. <laughs> I might do that in your honour, just to, you know, just to think Davina's going to expect that. I want, I don't want to disappoint. <laughs> oh, cheers, cheers, yeah. And then your your bow will be on the other side of your fingers, and then you have to do everything in reverse. Oh, that's an idea. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> you've got time to practice, so good luck. That's true. <laughs> it's really nice to hear someone's personal insights into a piece like that, which, as you say, very very popular no shortages of recordings and performances, as we said. Um, so thank you for that. So what's next for you in terms of recording? What would you like to record next? Wow, that's quite a Massive tough question. question. Yeah, that's a good question, <laughs> um, but very tough to answer. Well, I'd love to do more Polish music because I'm half Polish and, uh, and sound world fascinates me a lot. It's very daring. It's full of... Um, difficult techniques and, um, and, and very dark as well. Some of the, some Polish music, especially contemporary Polish music. So I think I'd like to discover more of that, just following on from experiment breaking rules with playing and playing technique. That's definitely a space you can do that. So um, I'd love to do more of that. Um, having tempted by Penderecki and, and Knapik and Gretzky, I, I just love that very scary sound world. It can be quite a scary place for for the audience and musicians. But when it works, it's it's really thrilling. I think that's got to be one of my favourite experiences playing playing Polish music on stage. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you released an album of Polish music last year, is that right? Yeah, that's right. So there are plans to do it in December. Um, the next one, the return of the Polish violin. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like well like the sequel to a trilogy like the but, star yeah. wars trilogy. return of the polish <laughs> island 
Uh, I need to give it some more thought. Oh no, it'll just be, it won't have a title. <laughs> oh, so that's not the album title. I'm disappointed. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> the return of the Polish violin with Super Sol Testo <laughs> Boeing. Yeah, that sounds like a superpower, actually. I love it. A super soul pasta. That would be my superhero uh, image. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very, very subtle. Not often heard, but very powerful. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> oh, lovely. What are your thoughts on diversity in programming? What do you think you can do to boost the profile of composers that perhaps don't enjoy the same platform and sustain success as, say, Algar? and Vaughan Williams. Well, I think there's a lot that musicians can do in their programming, definitely. And it's a joy to discover some composers that, you know, have really not seen the limelight. Um, one composer who I've really been enjoying listening to is Julia Perry, who's absolutely fantastic um, black composer. I think the piece I heard last week was probably 1950s. I need to check that. It was a short introduction to the orchestra which was played by I think the LA Phil and I was just sort of you know on YouTube and I found it and it was just so it was so poignant because there was so much it was very angular very uncompromising and I, I really resonate with with that sort of music I mean I find that from a Polish perspective, it's very uncompromising, so I'm quite drawn to that music. So Julia Perry, I need to find out if she's written any, you know, piece of solo violin or sonatas. But um, but yeah, I'd I'd love to start programming and do better at programming and finding out many composers that deserve to be heard. Florence Price as well, her violin concertos. So recording those and putting pressure on record companies and, and trying yeah. very hard to alongside well-known pieces because I found that there is it's very hard to I, I f- have found with pieces that that are unknown is the promoter will often say well we we have orders we need to please and you know you need to think about that we need to make money from the concert and they will only buy the ticket if there's ABC on the program so it's an uphill struggle with that so I'm hoping you know there is only so much that we can do as musicians mm-hmm. to to try to you know push the case but it needs to change from yeah you know the people that have the the power to to really implement that change and but yeah being heard and and voicing your passions and opinions isn't you know more important than ever it's yeah. taking that dive, isn't it, to like find these new, these new pieces of repertoire as you're doing, as you're Googling and stuff, but also just like trying to spread the word. And it, it, it makes you realize how much more work has to be Absolutely. done. And as you say, like quite often the people promoting having to fill those specific quotas, they're the types of people that we need to put pressure on the most, don't we? Definitely. Yeah. And institutions and, you know, they need to be really reaching out to the community. Um, That's, I think, what is, you know, the coronavirus pandemic has shown is that music is important for everyone. And classical music is is very, is vital, you know, from a healing perspective and to enrich all our lives and bring us together. And, you know, making it possible for people that wouldn't have the chance to hear it. But it's so 
complicated because it's interwoven with the problems in our society so we've got to do our best but people have to do better that have the ability to do that yeah it's it's those people that need to really get things going i think people in in power it's yeah i've been thinking so much about that recently just the kind of structure yeah of everything and how things need to change yeah and it is amazing how it feels like we see the problems so much more clearly now because of what's been happening and and it's quite a shock to see it like it so in such a stark way and we're forced and i think it's good that we're forced to see it because because we're in lockdown because we can't do we don't have what we have to do every other day because we have to so so we have time to think about these things which is good i think so hopefully when we emerge it things will be starting to change but it's a long road absolutely very very long road but yeah i mean as we've said before it's a good time for reflection and reassessment and so hopefully we can go back into the post-covid world definitely better informed yes and ready for a change it's it's nice talking with you about it it's it's really hard to 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 be by yourself and and bottle all of these thoughts and these shifts and size shifts uh so it's actually it's very therapeutic to do that yeah no i mean i feel i feel the same like um you know having zoom conversations and well zoom interviews in in this case because it's just remembering how to talk to another person yeah yeah and while it's not exactly the same as talking to someone in the same room it's it's practice and communication yeah. if anything and that's yeah. really important uh, definitely need me to need that after three months oh. yeah god <laughs> oh i just had another image of you um starting the lark ascending soul pont that's like a really geeky thing that would sound great <laughs> can you imagine that soul pont fortissimo <laughs> like what happened to this lark <laughs> Okay, well, sorry, oh, joking aside, I, I should take that more seriously. <laughs> no, no, I love it. It's being daring. I, I, you know, I think that you're right. There's so much more experimentation that we can do. I mean, you know, I think it's quite spooky down it that near the, near the bridge, that close, it's, it's quite exciting. We do yeah. it in, in Vivaldi and, you know, we, we sort of feel like we're able to do things like that in those sorts of pieces. I, I think it's time. <laughs> <laughs> well, remember where you got that idea. <laughs> I will. I promise I'll credit you in the program. <laughs> oh, cheers. I have a segment at the end of each of my podcast episodes called the Wild Card Question Round. I don't know why I just momentarily forgot how to say that. Must be all the isolation. The wild card question round, where you have the opportunity to choose what I ask you next based on three topics that I present you. Oh, exciting times. Oh, very exciting. It's really interesting to see how people react to that because a lot of people don't like surprise. A lot of people thrive on it. And then a lot of people are like, what is this, a game show? (laughs) (laughs) It's nice. No, it's good. It's good. It's, it's, I'm missing the surprise and the adrenaline of a concert. So anything that to get me nervous is, is a good thing. A good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Get that kind of feeling of performance ad- adrenaline. Yeah. So we have spirit animal, food, and if you weren't a musician. Oh, wow. That's difficult. The safe option would be if I went to musician. <laughs> Is that one safe? Oh, wow. 
that's, an, that's, that's an interesting insight. Well, I was tempted. I was tempted by the you know spiritual animal. I might have to think on that one and, and let you know later. But that, that's it's too hard. It's too hard to think on the spot. But I do know for sure if mm-hmm. I wasn't a musician. So I'll pick that one. Okay. <laughs> so if you weren't a musician, what would you be? I think maybe a writer. I, I love anything creative. I don't think I express well with words um, as well as I feel with sounds, but I love it. And, uh, and so I, I find it quite therapeutic. And, and I think maybe, uh, maybe a writer of some kind. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. It's, I feel like a lot of people need that creative channel don't they whether it be music making or writing or painting or whatever they choose to do but I find writing really yeah as you say therapeutic because especially if you're in isolation and you've got no one to talk to yeah (laughs) it's very it's it's really good for the soul isn't it it's like you can just let out your emotions somehow by being creative yeah Mm. And it, it orders your thoughts a little bit as well. Definitely. And it, even I found, you know, if it's not making any sense what you're, what you're writing down, it's, it's really satisfying when over time you can then sort of edit things and it takes a shape like, a, like learning a piece does. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah I, it's very yeah. satisfying doing that. And even if it's a, if it's a silly poem, which I was, I was also doing it at the beginning, just to keep spirits up to send to friends. <laughs> We're writing, you know, kind of just funny, funny poems to cheer each other up. So, oh, I love a silly poem. I I do loads of poems from the viewpoint of my cat, Romeo. Oh, brilliant! Oh, fantastic! Have you published any? Have you have you posted them? Well, I've just put them on like Instagram. I'll, I'll see if I can find a recent one. Just because, like, yeah, as you say, just just to keep the spirits up, it's just quite nice to do something a bit silly sometimes. Definitely. I lie here warily on the couch with a look of great despair. Soon you'll find you mustn't slouch or I will eat your hair. I mean, just, <laughs> just like stupid things like that. But like, I like to think that my cat's got a voice and he doesn't express it in the same way as we do. So I just kind of force that on him through the medium of poetry. <laughs> He's a star, Instagram star. I have to follow follow that. I'll be on Instagram when we finish just to check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I was doing that on a walk. I just thought, right, how can I, how can I sort of feel positive? in the early stages and just just being silly isn't as well as you know emotions are quite intense and I'm quite intense at times and and I think it's easy to forget about the light side and and that's really good for the soul too Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. just like have a bit of a laugh sometimes um one thing I wanted to uh, just expand on in, in terms of writing sometimes I find the hardest thing is just to put something on the page don't you think yeah starting it's hard yeah yeah and it's a little bit like practice sometimes I don't know how you feel because you're, you're probably very disciplined and very structured with the way that you practice but not always <laughs> <laughs> no really not always. it varies well you sort of have good days and bad days don't you it's just how it is at the moment but yeah it, it's quite nice to try to take the pressure off when you have those days when you feel like you can't put something on the page or or you don't feel able to play and ha- having a break and stepping away is sometimes good, mm-hmm. which I think, yeah, the beginning of, of the lockdown, that's, that was my response. So I, I feel like I had that feeling, like I had a blank page. I just didn't feel like I wanted to say anything. So, but then it, you know, it changes and then you learn, you grow. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Go off, have some life experiences and then come back to the page or come back to your instrument and then you have something to say. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's heartening. I can't wait to read that. I'm, I'm quite excited, actually. Now I want to I want to read what your cat thinks of the whole thing. Definitely. Oh gosh, I mean, it's he's very self-centered. I don't think he really has that many thoughts about coronavirus, apart from how it affects him in his everyday life. So it means that we are at home a lot more than before. He does not have solitude <laughs> because we're always bothering him. Yes, I was kind of sorry to, to stop you there, but I am interested. I don't, I don't, I've never owned a cat, but is he or she very surprised that, that you're spending a lot of time at home? Is I think he was. Yeah, I think he was at the beginning because, um, because you know, um, so my husband, he's a freelance musician as well. And so we're often out and about all hours of the day. And then you get a very, very warm welcome when you come home and it's that feeling of, oh, where were you? Oh, I, I must cover you in my scent again by rubbing <laughs> my fur all over your face and all over your legs and leaving my fur everywhere. And now because we're home all the time, we're a lot more aware of his daily routine, which is to sleep most of the day. And because when we see him sleeping, we quite like to poke him and just bother him because he just looks so nice and cuddly. He, he doesn't like that. So, and I think he, he does express his rage in the form of kicking, biting and scratching. And there, there have been a few more incidences of those frank discussions of ideas. Yeah. Oh, wow. He sounds like a great, he'd be perfect musician. He'd be perfect. (laughs) So very expressive. Definitely wears his heart on on his sleeve, his theoretical sleeve. That's fantastic. Oh, well, thank you for that answer. It's it's always really interesting to hear what people would do if they weren't musicians. And there's always some kind of parallel between music making and non-music making. Definitely. Yes. And and now, and your last question about, uh, about, you know, the soul animal, spirit animal, maybe it would be a cat. Maybe it'd be a cat. (laughs) Oh, I would love to be a cat. (laughs) I'd be very good at being a cat. Do you think you'd be a cat as well? (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking the more I think about it, absolutely. I think it's the, the expressivity and, and the state and the presence. Presence. They have presence, don't they, cats? Yeah. They really do. I think when you go on stage, you have to sort of know a little bit of that. So maybe if you in the next live, I'll be seeing you as a cat. <laughs> that sounds lovely. The return of the Polish violin cat. That's the, That's name the of your one. Next album. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been an absolute joy just to chat to you, even though you're you're just up the road. It's brilliant. We should do this in person sometime. Definitely. Can you tell us about where people can find out more about you and your upcoming album? Yes. Well, my Facebook page and Instagram and website will all have the information on there. And uh, and once I've worked out Facebook Live and um, all of the joys of social media, I'll be more I'll be more active on there. Trying to be more active on there, I think, um, since we don't have a lot of choice at the moment. Um, but yes, so it will all be there. Oh, that sounds great. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks very much for talking to me. It's been great fun, Davina. <laughs> was Jennifer Pike. What a legend. As mentioned, she's got a recording of The Lark Ascending in its original version coming out in late July, alongside sonatas by Alga and Rafe V-Dubs. Vaughan Williams. Here's this week's Music College Didn't Prepare Me segment. 
I put out a call for musicians doing online teaching throughout the pandemic to tell me something they say constantly that illustrates their frustration and highlights the novelty of the platform. The response was so overwhelming that I might need to split it up over a few episodes. Some people I approached I think were looking for an opportunity to vent and offload, which is great. I'm glad we can get this all out in the open. So here are some quotes relating to online teaching in general that might sound familiar. And I'm taking a bit of artistic liberty here as to how I think they would sound. Why have you turned your camera off? No, wait, where have you gone? Come back. I can't hear you. Please come out from under the couch. Have you muted yourself again? All right, don't pretend you're frozen. I know you're not. Uh, You're not in shot. Can you step back into the picture, please? No, I can't see your head. No, I can only see the ceiling now. Where are you going? How long does it take to get a pencil? Why don't you have one on your stand already? Okay, can you move the camera? I can't see your hands. Might be your device, but did you do any dynamics that time? (laughs) You can't blame that bit on Zoom. Could you play that once more? Because it all got a bit share halfway through. Sorry, talk louder. Talk louder. Okay, you've got to talk into the microphone for me to hear you. Yes, Golden Gate Bridge is a very nice background, but I can't see your keyboard. Okay, we're going to go from bar 10. Count with me. Bar 10, 8, 9, 10. Got it? Yes? What do you mean you don't know where we are? We just counted. Are you sure you switched on original sound? Thanks to Jenny, Joanna, Uchenna, Verity, Sophie, Ellie, Ellie, Dan, Chrissy, and all the others who didn't want to be named for those contributions. And that's not even all the ones I received, so there will be more in future episodes. And if you have an experience that Music College didn't prepare you for, or you want to vent about your frustrations with online teaching, perhaps pertaining to a specific instrument, we've got a whole lot relating to strings and piano, or maybe you want to sing its praises, email me at asitcomespodcast at gmail.com. That's it for today. Special thanks to Ros Nagy for my logo and Daniel Elms for my jingle. Symphonic-sized thanks to Jennifer Pike for being my guest for this episode. And also huge thanks to Tessa at Premier Classical. And as always, thank you for listening. Now more than ever, it's so important to communicate and keep in touch, and it's kind of easier these days as we're forced to use email and social media and the like. So do get in touch. It'd be great to hear from you. You can email me at asitcomespodcast at gmail.com or message me on my website, asitcomes.com. I have no idea what will happen if anyone actually did that, so maybe you should try it and we'll find out. Like and follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at As It Comes Pod. Remember to rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and spread the word. Thanks to those who have continued to do so. Chat to you soon. Namaste. Namaste.